This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. The Rebbe of class, so there must be something that, not outside of him bringing the Torah to, the, to learn, you learn from a Rebbe, not by what he says, but actually what he does. So, tonight we're going to talk about something that's very important, that's, that's been happening a lot in the therapeutic world, in the Chinuch world, and our world altogether. So in the, in the in the therapeutic world in rehab and in addictions, so they did a study and they they came out with that thirty that thirty day program where uh, rehab for thirty day any addiction, the relapse rate is ninety percent. So they go to rehab, they pay, and they leave after thirty days, and they relapse. It's a good business, after, you know, ninety percent. It's a good business, ninety cent return. And then they go back into rehab, and then they don't relapse in 30 days. They relapse 60, 90 days, and then they go back. So the success rate is based on the, the, the amount of time between, between relapses. Why? Why doesn't it work the first time? Why doesn't it work? So the problem that we're having very much, and it's all based on the Tyra. Well, everything I'm going to say is coming from the Tyra, is that people are busy with the what? They're busy with the what. In other words... This kid is a drug addict. This kid not doing well in school. Um, this girl's skirt is too short. Um, these kids are at risk. So there's a there's a shidduch crisis. There's a marriage crisis. There's a there's a lot of crisis. So everyone's busy with the what. But if you fix the what, you don't fix the why. If you fix the why. You fix all the what's. What, am I, what do I mean? So the perfect example is a lady goes to the doctor and she has a very bad rash. The doctor takes a look at the rash. He says, it's itching? Yeah, it's very itchy. He says, okay, I'm going to give you some calamine lotion. I don't know if you, in my day and age, but that's what we used to put on. You Just like an Indian, like a war paint. Okay, Baruch Hashem, it stopped itching. Next day she comes back to the doctor. Yeah, it stopped itching, but I got fever. Okay, take Tylenol. Next day she comes back and she says, I have a terrible headache. Take Motrin. Next day she comes back, I'm running to the bathroom every two minutes. Take care of pectate. And he keeps treating the symptoms. And every time he treats one symptom, something else happens. He's a miserable doctor. Because don't treat symptoms ever. You just have to treat the disease. So how do you take in a strep culture? The first time she came in and it came back positive, he would have given her an antibiotic. And she wouldn't have had all the symptoms of strep, which is fever and a headache and going to the bathroom and... And a, and, a, and, a, and a strep rash. Not only that, had he not done the strep culture, strep not taking care of and only treating the symptoms ends up in the blood, which ends up in the heart, which ends up can kill you. Rheumatic fever causes all types of problems. So this is not a good doctor because he's treating symptoms, he's not treating the disease. Give her one antibiotic and all the symptoms go away. We're very busy when we see kids or we see people, we see something, we see a situation. We're busy with the what? Oh my gosh, you saw her? Her kid's off the derech. Um... Addictions, all the different addictions. So let's treat this addiction, let's treat that addiction. Let's treat ADD, let's treat ADHD, let's treat all this <laughs> stuff. Let's treat depression, which is probably the biggest situation right now with women and men is depression and anxiety. Everybody's on anxiety medicine. Everyone's anxious. Everyone's anxious about everything, even though I, I think the reason everyone's anxious is because everyone has, cell, has iPhones and, and Yeshiva World and all these other news things all day long. All they're reading is the news and... The world's coming to an end, and, and, and all the tragedies that each evil world kid get hit by a car, and someone fell out of a window, and so of course you're anxious. If all day long that's all you read, right? In the old days, they didn't know anything like that, you know? So you even look at the weather, oh my gosh, it's gonna snow, so the day before snow, you're anxious. But if you don't know it's gonna snow tomorrow, you're not anxious. So we're so busy with our stuff that we become very anxious. But the question that no one's asking is, why is this girl off the derrick? Why is this boy off the derrick? Why is this kid depressed? A parent has to ask, not, you're gonna, I'm punishing you, you're not doing well in school, you're not trying. Why isn't he trying? What's going on? And many times when you ask the question why and you find out what's really going on, you fix the why, he's a great, he's a great student, he's a new person. He had low self-esteem, he didn't believe he could learn. Right? But everyone's busy with the what. So the whole psych- psychology world, we're very busy with the symptoms, depression, everything, ADHD, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Certain things, you have to give medicine, but everything has, a, everything has letters in the now. But why? Why are they acting like that? And, and if Rabbeim and teachers and parents and everybody else would ask that question, Madua, then they'll get rid of all the what's, get rid of all the symptoms, fix the why, 
You fix the why, you fix all the what's. You fix the what, you don't fix the why. Right? And that person might be good for a year or two, but you didn't fix the why. You didn't deal with the trauma. You didn't deal with what was going on. <laughs> so it's going to be hidden for a while, but it's going to come out two, three years later. I mean, this is the experience that I, that I had. We see this in the Torah in a very big way. And I'm going to show you how. So let's look about, about Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's try to understand um, what was going on with Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu was born, right? And Bats Paro, right? What happens? Beautiful. It's a very beautiful shot. I said it tonight in Yeshiva. She was like, wow. It was, it was amazing. And says like this, none of this is my own. She couldn't hide him. So, Ratosim Bas Hayeled, Miriam put the little boy, which was Moshe Rabbeinu, Ratosim Basuf Al Svas Hayor. She put him in the reeds at the bank of the Nile River. Okay, she couldn't put him more than that because she was six years old. He was just, you know, just nine months at that point. And she was three years older than Aaron. Aaron was three years older than Moshe. So she was all of six years old. How far can a six-year-old put a basket in the water? A six-year-old's arm is a foot, maybe a foot and a half. So she could have put him further. And the Pazik telling you that. She put him in the reeds. On the, right at the edge, because she's a little kid, she couldn't put him any further. But then, the next plastic says, right? And where was he? he? She saw the little basket in the middle of the Nile. How to get to the middle of the Nile? The plastic before said she put it in the reeds. Now, you could tell me, a wave? A wind? Why would Hashem do that? Now it's in the middle of the Nile, so now he has to do a miracle that her hand has to stretch. Hashem doesn't do miracles unless he has to. So if she only put him at the start of the Nile, why are you, well, I don't know how Hashem did it, maybe it was a wave, maybe it was a wind, why do you send the kid all the way out to the middle of the Nile? And now when she puts her hand out, it has to be a miracle. Just leave him where he was. And, and people don't realize he's Tupsukim. She put him at the edge. She found him in the middle. So it seems to be that Hashem made a miracle that this little basket ended up in the middle of the Nile. So there seems to have been a purpose for Moshe being in the middle of the Nile. Okay. So, Batishak has a masa. She sent out her hand. She, we all know that she stretched her hand like Gumby. Her hand stretched. All those are my age know who that is. Otherwise, you don't know who he is. Right? Stretched. And she took the basket. Batishak, listen to this shot. Batishak, Batireyos, Ayeled. She opens the basket and she sees the little baby. Is the baby crying, everybody? The way we learned it in school. Is the baby crying? The baby wasn't crying. It doesn't say he was crying. She said she saw the baby. But there was a young man, and now as a, as a lad, a yellow as a baby, and now as a lad, right? There was a lad crying. She had Rachmanas on him. This is a Jew. So most of the, most of the Chazal say that. It was him crying, but he had a voice of a teenager, which was very weird, which was like, she was like, what's going on? It's a baby crying, right? Um, she had pity, but told me how it's a Jew. How did she know it was a Jew? So most people think he had a bris milah, that's what made him a Jew. Wrong. Yosef HaTzadik made a law in, 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 when he was living in Mitzrayim that every Egyptian boy had to have a bris milah. So Moshe Rabbeinu having a bris milah did not mean he was a Jew. So how did you know he was a Jew? I don't know if it's a Kutzkevar, I don't know who said this. It's amazing. He says, you got it all wrong. The Pasuk is very clear what it's saying. She opened up, right? She opened up, she saw Moshe Rabbeinu. He wasn't crying. It's a little baby. But there was a young man crying. Who was that young man? Aaron. Aaron Akayin, his three-year-old boy, little boy, was standing on the side crying when he saw his Sadiq brother Moshe being taken by an Egyptian princess. He's like, what's going to happen with this kid? So he started crying. She had Rachmanis on the boy that was crying, on Aaron. She said, this kid standing there must be a Jew. Because only a Jew would cry, a little three-year-old cry, over his brother. So it's a whole different shot in the, in the Pasuk. Just the opposite. It makes sense. She saw a baby. 
She heard a little boy cry. She had Rachmanes. She said, this must be a Jew because Jews cry for each other. Also, it's translated that she had Rachmanes on Moshe and she said, you must be a Jew because she saw the brother cry. But she understood that Egyptian kids don't cry for other kids. But Jewish kids cry for other kids. Okay. So now she has this, she has Moshe Abenu and the end of um, Pasuk Yud, it says, he became, he grew up, he wasn't nursing anymore. But they brought it to Basparo, but he will event. She adopted him, but Tikrishmo Moshe, she, she called him, she named him Moshe. Moshe had a Jewish name. His mother Tzipora gave him a name, Tuvia, because he was born with a light and he was born with a bris, so she named him Tuvia. But Basparo said, didn't know his name was Tuvia, she named him Moshe. Why? Because I took him out of the water. And therefore, his name is Moshe. The Jews got out of Mitzrayim because of three things. They didn't change their clothing, they didn't change their names, and they didn't change their language. So every single person in Mitzrayim, Jew, had a Jewish Hebrew name. And you're telling me that the one person in the whole Jewish nation that had a Goyesha Egyptian name was Moshe Benu. Why would Hashem in the Torah give him the name Moshe? It was the only Goyesha name of any kid in the home of tribe, and that's our leader? Seems to be that this Egyptian name had to be given to Moshe Benu. And that explains why the basket had to end up in the middle of the Nile. Because had the basket been at the edge of the Nile, she wouldn't have named him Moshe. But because she put her hand out, and it was impossible from where she was to get that basket, she said, I get the credit here. Why? Because I tried, even though it was impossible, and nobody would have done what I did. I put my hand out. You know what? We'll see. Whatever Hashem does, Hashem does. So Hashem said that Moshe Rabbeinu's name, everybody in this room, your name is your source. After 120 years, they ask you for your pasuk of your name. Your name is who you are. And people get names for many, 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 many different reasons. Your name is your source. Moshe Rabbeinu is becoming the leader of Klai Yisrael. The leader of Klai Yisrael, he has to understand that as a leader, sometimes things look impossible. You have to put your hand out anyway. That's what makes a Rabbeinu. You have to try. And so many people give up before they even try. They're like, I can't do that. I, I'm not, I don't talk to kids. I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do this. Bachebas Paro's hand didn't go near her, but he, when she put it out, because Baruch made a miracle. So he, Moshe Rabbeinu had to have this Egyptian name. Because you'll see something fascinating that in last week's Parsha, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, take the stick and put it over the, put it over the, the Yamsuf and it's going to split. He didn't take the stick. He put his hand out. Why? Because he had in his DNA from Bacha, who named him Moshe, that you just, if you want anything to do with water, a miracle in the water, you just have to put your hand out. So he didn't use his stick. He just put his hand out. That was in his name. It was in his name. Moshe's hand didn't split the Yamsuf, that the Kalishwa could go through the Yamsuf. But when he put his hand out, he put his hand out. And the Jews must have been saying, like, what are you doing? The Arabs are shooting at us. The ocean's in front of us. Uh, submarine. Boat, sailboat, something, Noah's Ark. What are you putting your hand out? Putting your hand out, that's going to help us? She said, that's who I am, that's where I came from. I was also way out there. Hashem made a miracle, some lady's arm was stretched out. So that, that was his source, and that's why he had the only Egyptian name. Because that's the source of a leader. The source of a leader is understanding that some stuff in life looks impossible, but you got to try it. You know, Torah, Torah Anytime is right here, it's filming. I started with them. They had, they had two, two speakers. Two speakers, that's it. Two brothers had an idea, let's tape some shirim today. Millions and millions and millions of hours. I don't know, I think he has over a thousand speakers. They started something. No, you cannot be successful. You have to put your hand down. Who makes it happen? I started Ornava. Tell you a story. My father's yard said today, so I'll tell you the story. So I was very, very close to my father. I was inseparable. We were best friends. We were, he was everything in my life. And he got cancer, esophageal cancer. We went to the doctor, and the doctor told him he had three months to live. He was already in his liver. 
So I was, uh, I got on a plane the next day and I went to, I came to Eretz Yisrael. I was already a Rebbe at that point for 21 years. I went straight to the Kosel. I got off LL, went straight to the Kosel. I stood there, I got there. I said to Akash Baruch, I'll never forget it. I put my head on the wall. I said, here's the deal, God. I'm teaching 21 years. I'm doing Kirov. Those are non, I was teaching kids that weren't from. And I brought some of them into Shabbos and some of them into, paid for their high schools and I took care of them. I'm cashing it all in, all 21 years. I want you to give my father another year. I didn't ask for a refu shalema. The, the, you have to know how to daven. And the Bnei Suspa says, ask for little by little. I figured I'll ask for a year. When I get to the 11th month, I'll ask for another year. And I'll ask for another year. And I'll do that for the next 80 years. That's how you daven, by the way. You don't daven, ah, you start little bit, little bit, little bit. That's how you daven. Okay, I asked for a year. My father, Rosh used to always say, he wanted me to come to Muncie. I lived in Brooklyn. So come on Wednesday and learn with him. He wanted me always to learn with him. He was 67 years old, in perfect health, finished shots seven times, tan, played paddleball, played racquetball, was in Florida all the time. I figured he'll die one day, 95 years old, on the paddleball court in Miami. Right? Whoever figured that he's going to get cancer at 67 years old. So like, like everyone else, you think everyone, you know, you think your parents are going to live forever? You think your Rebbe's going to live forever? So I was like, ah! One of these days, you know, like cats in the cradle. You know, one of these days I'll get there. And so now he's, he, he, they're telling me three months and I never went. And I'm like, all right, for the next year, I'll go up on Wednesday. I'll learn with my father. That's what he wanted, whatever it is. So I came there. So I cashed it. And I said, here's 21 years. I don't want Ghanaian for it. Give him a year. 21 years of Kirov. I'm sure, I'm, you know, I make a deal. I'm a deal maker with Hashem. So... um Came back home. My, I, said, I went to Umakubalim. We had stuff and kameyas. Don't ask. Every idea that you can think of, I came up with stuff to smear on his body. Disgusting things to drink. All kinds of stuff. Father died three months later. Maybe three, maybe three months and two weeks. I got up from Shiva. I called the principal, Rabbi Goldstein, the principal of my school that I was teaching in. I said, um, you have to find another Rebbe. I quit. I'm going to go give half a day every day for God as a Rebbe. All my friends are working, they're making a lot of money. And you didn't even give me an extra month. You, you like, like, Goyim get an extra year or two. You didn't even give me an extra month. Listen, I'm not going off the derech. You have your cheshbainis. I'm keeping Shabbos. But I'm not teaching for you anymore. I'm not doing that, God. I quit. I quit. The Rabbi Wollaston. I quit. I'm done. I'm out. I'll be from Jew, but why, why do I have to do, why do I have to go the extra mile? You didn't give me an extra month. Okay. A week later, I'm sitting on the steps of my house. I'm like, what are you doing? Your father died, you didn't die. Like, what, why are you quitting teaching? It was his dream. Father's dream that I would be a Rebbe. You're like, what are you doing? You're punishing him for dying? What are you doing? So, you know what? I'll tell you what Rabbi Gamliel said. I asked my Rabbi, I said, why not Hashem listen to me? Like, like I cashed in 21 years of, 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 of working for God. He says, because you don't understand what one second a Ghanaian is. Hashem's not a Ganaf. He would never take your Ghanaian that your father should live an extra year. He says, you don't understand. It wasn't a good deal for you. Hashem said, I don't want your 21 years. You earned it. Your father has his man, and this is what's set up when he was born, and this is what's supposed to be. And I'm not taking your... He said, you don't understand what Ganadin is. So you made the most worst deal in the world. And if God loves you, he's not going to let you make that deal. I said, whoa. That's such a different way of looking at it. But that's a God, though. That's a tzaddik. So I called, I called up a week later, and I said, um, did you hire anyone? He said, no. I said, why not? Because I knew you were coming back. It's 41 years later and I'm still teaching. So I decided that I need to do extra, just the opposite. My father's not here. I can't go visit him. I'm going to open up a place for girls or an ava. And I called one of the greatest minds in girls' chinuch in the world. And I said, and I have this idea. I want to open up a place for, for women. He said, who's your target? That was the question he asked me. Who's your target? I said... Well, I'd like to get like 12th grade high school, 12th grade high school girls, uh, post-seminary, um, married women. And there's a lot of women out there that are in their 
70s and 80s that lost a husband, that live in an apartment by themselves. They go during the day to some social club. They feel very left out. They don't feel young anymore. They feel the young people are not interested. They're, they're just waiting to die. I said, I'd like to get them to. So he says to me, Mary Wallerstein, you are doomed to failure. He said, you're not, you're not going to get young high school girls sit down in a room in a speech with, with 70, 80-year-old women, and you're not going to get women that are married with children in a, in a, with single girls, and single girls don't want to be with young married because they're not married, and the high school girls don't want to be with some old, older girls. He said, you got to figure out what you want. That's what he told me. And I had met him in, in New York. I looked him in the eye and said, so you tell me, who should I, who should I cut? Who doesn't deserve to have a place every night? Old ladies, they don't deserve it because they lost their husbands. Married women don't deserve it. Who, who do I cut? Should I cut the high school, 12th graders? Who should I cut? He said, you got to cut four out of five. You, you want to be successful. I have different schools for different kids. You have to have a target. It wasn't the way I was brought up. So I said, I'm going to put my hand out of the, over the water. It's up to Kajmoch if he wants it to stretch. Let's open Ornava. Ages 16 to 120. I'll show you my first advertisement. Welcome, ages 16 to 120. Had a fantastic story of Rav Steinman, all of a sudden. After I had this idea to open up, I came to Eretz Yisrael to get a bracha. I said, I have a place for girls. Um, I'm just going to open it up. He said, what time? I said, from 8 o'clock to 11. So he looks at me, he's a gadol hadol living in B'nai Brak. I'm, I'm coming from Brooklyn. And he says to me, what are the young girls going to do after 11 o'clock? They're just going to end up on the street. You have to be open way past 11 o'clock. I'm looking at this gadol, like, you know who's hanging out in Brooklyn? Like, wow, that's a gadol. They know what's going on. He says, what age? I'll never forget this. And you can ask anyone who was close to Rav Steinman, because it's a very famous story. I'm in this room, and I came for a bracha, with all these guys, all these gadolim that he learns with, that he was learning with. So he says to me, he was very sharp, he says to me, what age are the women? I said, I'm a little bit of a wise guy. I said, 16 to 120. He says, Zvazvet Zayn, what will be? Viable if a woman comes in and she's 121. You're going to throw her out? That's what he said. Of Steinman. So I said, so he looks at me with his, with his eyes and he says, it won't happen. So I said, yeah, of course, the Rav knows. I may have asked him. Right? No, no 121s. He goes, no, 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 that's not why. I said, why? He says, a viable woman, she's never going to tell you her right age. <laughs> That's what he said. The so I got a bracha. And it's 18 years. And we just had a Shabbaton in Connecticut with 840 women. Married, single, older, religious, not so religious. Because when it comes to chizik, doesn't matter. And I have to tell you that the young girls talk to the older women and they get advice from them and they're all talking to each other and they're, it's, it's amazing. It was the most amazing Shabbaton. And what we have like in our bank of, of names, we probably have over 20,000. When we send out an email, it goes over to 20,000. There have been 20,000 women that have gone through the Ornava system. Now, he told me it wouldn't work. It can't work. You don't have a target. At the end of the day, don't listen to anybody. When you work for God, you just put your hand out. Batya went to Ganadin alive. What did she do? Batya's power. What did she do? She sang. What did she do? To go to Ganadin alive? She put out her hand. And it happens to be that the one she saved was the leader of Klyosro. So Karsa told her she went to Ganadin alive. I said, people are happy to go to Ganadin, not alive, to get to Ganadin, not alive. Ganadin alive? What did she do? She taught us an amazing lesson. Nothing's impossible. Nothing is impossible. It's up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu if your hand's going to stretch or not, but you got to put your hand out. And that was a koyach that, that Bajia put in to Moshe Rabbeinu. And you see, well, we're, we're going to see soon. Okay, anyway... So, very important. My father was very much like that. We, we, we grew up, there was, he was, uh, I think he was in the 112th Airborne, whatever, he was in a very tough division in the United States Army um, in Korea. And at that time, in Korea, there were a lot of mines, you know, and every time they had it also in the first few wars. 
So he told me he was he told me that his drill sergeant when they first got there was this Jewish one hundred and twenty pound guy from New York. They all hated him because first of all he was a Yankee and he was of course all the army is all in the south. He was a Yankee and a and a Jew. So like whatever. So he said that they said Soldiers If you step on a mine and you lose your right leg, don't worry. You got your left leg. Hop. And if you hop onto a mine and you lose your left leg, don't worry. Roll. And if you roll onto a mine, don't worry. You're dead. <laughs> you hear? But you hear what they, you hear what they're saying? Like, no, don't stop. There's no stopping. There's no stopping. Just keep going. That's what she did. Godless what she did. That she put her hand out. They must have, her maidservants must have looked at her like she was sugar. Said, Baby, what are you doing? What are you putting your hand out? She understood Bacha. She understood there's a kid in trouble. There's someone in trouble. I got to put my hand out. What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. But I got to put my hand out. And that was, was a kayach that was in my shirabbeinu. I remember my father, because this is the art side, just tell you something very interesting. <laughs> and I'm drilling this and drilling this and drilling this into kids' minds. And I'm drilling this into all of your minds. One of the problems with not doing things, starting things, is because most people are scared to fail. I talk to kids all the time. I don't want to play. I'm not good. Well, how are you going to ever get good if you don't play? I know, but I'm going to miss and, and anything and learning also. They're scared to fail. So I'd rather not... We don't like to do things we're not good at. As humans, we, don't, we do things that we're good at. But you'll never know what you're good at unless you try. I don't know what I was going through at the time. I was talking to my father. I tried something. I was failing. Not, not subject matter, but I was, going, I was failing some stuff. And, and he, said, he said to me, he said, 75% of success is based on failure. What does that mean? You try something, it doesn't work. Now you know that doesn't work. So I'm not doing that again. And in a laboratory, right, when you're in a laboratory, you're a scientist, so what's an experiment? Experiments, you're trying things. These two things didn't work, let's try these two things. At the 75% of failure, you failed that many times, at this point, you got the K correct, you got the Kogel right. It's working. So, it's only a failure if you don't learn from your failure, if you, if you trip over something and then you trip over it again, you're a fool. If you trip over something and you know where it is, and next time you walk around it, you learn from it. So don't be scared to fail. Just the opposite. Be scared to be successful the first time you try. Why? Because if you're successful right away, down the road, when the failure situation comes, you don't know how to handle it because you don't know what's wrong. Much better to test, to test, to test, to test, to test. And that's what they do with drugs, with medicine. And, you know, the FDA, they test and test and test and test. Better figure out this side effect. Oh, my gosh, we didn't know that. That side effect, that side effect, that side effect. Instead of putting out the medicine, all of a sudden people are having crazy side effects. So it's, it's okay. It's okay to get on the court and miss the big shot. Next time you know, you're too far out. Next time you know, you got to dribble around the guy. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from your mistakes. So a, a failure can lead to success. 75% of success is based on failure. So why are you scared to fail? Why are you scared to fail? I tell some girls who are dating for a long time, at this point you really know what you don't like. So now when you, when you go for a shidduch in the beginning, you're like, I'm oh, just like a nice guy. No, you just don't want like a nice guy. There's other things that you don't like and there's other things that you do like. Learn from it. Learn from your mistakes. Learn from failure. It's not really failure. My father was saying that it's not failure. If your failure leads to success, then your failure is part of success. It's not failure. We don't have to be scared of these things. And Moshe Rabbeinu went through this, not my shirt tonight. He said he couldn't talk and he was stuttering. He said to Hashem, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Seven times he told me I don't want to go. And I'm stuttering. And Hashem says, just go. Just go. You might, you're going to stutter. I'm not fixing your stutter. But I'm going to be in there. And, and your struggle is going to give you struggle. Most. You've heard my share about that. That's not tonight's share. Let's go on a little bit. Let's, let's see a little bit about the why and the what and my share Okay. But Yigdal HaYeled. So he grew up. And the next passage says, So he grew up and he went to see what his, what his, what his brothers were going through. Right? And that's, that's the godless of a Jew. The godless is growing up, looking at what's going on. But I want to tell you what happened in a Rashi, he says the following, I was looking for this Rashi before and I couldn't find it, but now I found it. He asked Hashem, he 
We asked Hashem why. Here, listen to this. So, Paro heard that he killed the Mitzri, and he ran away, and he said, Uh-oh, now that these two guys, Dustin and Aviram, know what I did, it's going to become public. Zot Rashi. Zot Rashi. Let's say the Hebrew part. I'm reading it in English, but let's say the Hebrew part. Exactly what you hear. He was in shock. What did the Jews do? Mikol Ayin almost different than all seventy nations. Leo is near them. perach. Why are the Jews suffering? He asked. What did they do wrong? The seventy. The seventy. Nations didn't do didn't do anything better than the Jews. Why are they suffering? He asked this question: Why are they suffering? Before he became a leader, before anything, he didn't ask what he saw them suffering. He knew what they were going through. He said to Hashem, "I don't understand. Why are they suffering?" And he said, "Achenoidadava." Now I know why they're suffering because they talk Lashon Hara. The minute he heard that Dasmaviram told Paro, he said, "Now I know the why. You know the why they're suffering." Because they talk bad about each other. Okay. Anyway, he comes to Midian. Here's the main point. Malach shows up in the fire. We all know that. It's burning, but it's not burning. There's a fire, but the leaves are green, and it's not, it's not, it's not burning. Here's the big one. Moshe, Moshe said, Asuruna, Asuruna, let me turn the era as Hamara Hagadol Hazeh. Let me see this. This is unbelievable. Madua lo Why isn't the bush burning? So a lot of people saw the bush burning. A lot of people walked by and they said, "Wow, what a trick! Must be a magician. I don't know. This is this is amazing. Bush burning. The leaves are not burning. Psh, very cool. They should put this in the circus. This is something that would definitely sell tickets. This is this is like really amazing." Maybe there's a magician. Moshebeno said, no, no, no. There's a reason to a bush burning in the middle of the desert and the leaves are not burning. Why isn't it burning? Hashem had never spoken to this point. Hashem never spoke to Moshebeno. You will never hear till this point that there's Vaidab Hashem and Moshe. When does Hashem decide to speak to Moshe? Vayar Hashem kisol lirois. Hashem saw that Moshe turned to see what's going on. First time Hashem ever spoke to him. And what did Hashem say? Moshe, Moshe, he called him with, when you call somebody twice, like Zechariah, Zechariah, that means it's someone that you love. So Hashem came out, came out of this, Moshe, Moshe, what's the Moshe, Moshe? The answer is Hashem loved Moshe Abbeinu and wanted to talk to him because he was a person that stopped, turned, looked and asked why. There is so much fire. There are so many bushes burning in our nation today. So many crises with kids. There's fire. There's fire in Brooklyn. There's fire in Lakewood. There's so much fire. There's so many bushes burning. There's so many people going through trauma. Who does Hashem want to talk to? To the guy, to the person who stops and looks and say, oh my gosh, you read that in the paper? <gasps> Look what's going on in Ramat Bishak. Look what's going on in Lakewood. Kids off to Derek and Michal Shabbos and divorces and people not having kids and, and cancer. And Look at all this stuff going on. Oh, it's such a... I never, I never... I hear it all day long. I never... Did you heard about this family? I never... Did you hear about... That's what Hashem wants. You say, oh, never? Is that what Moshe Rabbeinu saw when he saw the fire? Oh, never? He said, Madua! What's going on over here? The 70 Ummah out there, they're much worse than we are. Why are we suffering? What's going on? Is it Lashon Hara? What's going on? Madua. So the people who ask Madua, they're the doers. It's like, why is this? I need to make a change. Is that just a show? Is that just something I'm just looking at? So I was in Yeshiva in Medrash Multa. I said, you want Hashem to talk to you? Then you have to stop and you have to turn your head and you have to look and you have to make a difference in what's going on in Israel. Not just say, ay, ay, ay. I say, you hear what's going on? Nebuch! Chazit, if you're Sephardi. Chazit! What's going on in Klai Yisrael? Moshe Benu didn't say Chazit. Moshe Benu said, I'm stopping, I'm stopping, I need to know what's going on over here. I'm going to do what's going on over here. 
And that's, who made, that's when Hashem decided that I'm going to talk to you. Because he asked that question. We all know what's going on, but how many of us say madua? How many of us put our hand out and say, you know what, I want to start an organization. I, you know what, doesn't be an organization. See a girl, she's depressed. How can I help you? What's going on in your life? Where does this come from? By Yosef HaTzadik, when the Malach met him, he said, what do, you, what, what, what do you want? He didn't ask him, where is, where you, what, what are you looking for? What, what brothers, where they are? He said, what do you want? And Yosef said, I'm looking for, I want to be a brother. I want, I want them to accept me. They're not accepting me. The Malach asked him, first he found him, and then he was lost. No, first you're lost, and then you get found. But in the Pasuk it says, no, first he, first he found him, then he was lost. Yes, what does that mean? He found him. He stopped. He said, hey, Yosef, he knew exactly where Yosef was going. He was a Malach, he was Gabriel. He said, Matavakesh, what do you want, kid? What do you want? I see you out there. You got piercings. You got tattoos. You're Michal Shabbos. That's the what. Don't try to fix that, everybody. You want to fix it? Find out why. Why are you Michal Shabbos? You're a good kid. Why do you need a piercing and a tongue ring? Like, what's going on? You need an identity? Why? What's happening? Let's find out where it's coming from. Fix that. Out goes the ring. Out goes everything. Income Shabbos. He's going to be busy with the what? It's not going to work. So Moshe Rabbeinu asked the question. He said, Madua. He said, why? And those are the people that make the difference. And you know what? Before Moshe Rabbeinu, the world was saved by a man who asked Madua. You're not going to see the word Madua. I don't even know if the word Madua is outside of these two places. I have to look in the Torah. Right? I think Moshe might have said, why'd you take it? The Kleisho says, why'd you take it out of Mitzrayim? But, listen to this. Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik. I love to talk about Yosef HaTzadik. Yosef HaTzadik. Who went through more than Yosef HaTzadik? Right? 17 years old. His brothers take off all his clothing. Throw him into, every time he says that, I, I, I like, I win. I like, what? They took off all his clothing and they throw him into a, into a 20, uh, 20 foot, Hole and in the hole of snakes, no no water, snakes and scorpions. The guy doesn't have a stitch of clothing on, and you throw him into snakes and scorpions, and he comes out of it alive. And no one says, "Wow, what a miracle!" He must be must be he is a good boy. And then they sell him to Mitzrayim, and they sell this Yosef Atzadik, right? The, the the chosen of Yaakov's children, the one that's going to save us and burn Esav. He's the fire that's going to burn Esav, right? They sell him to Mitzrayim. Zok Rashi, Potiphar bought him. Why did Potiphar buy him? Because Potiphar was on the other side of the tracks. He liked men. So Rashi says he bought him for Mishkav Zoch. He bought Yosef to be his boy. Do you understand? Yosef HaTzadik was bought in a triumph by the most immoral person, Potiphar, to be his boy. And then the Pasuk says, why didn't he hurt Yosef? Because he saw that Yosef was an Ish Matzliach. He was an Ish Hashem. Because Yosef always said Baruch Hashem, different shir. Whenever he went, he said Baruch Hashem. I'm not touching this kid. This kid is a God kid. I'm not messing with him. So he left him alone. Oh, Baruch Hashem. This guy bought me for himself and he left me alone. Hashem, you're with me. Great! No. Potiphar's wife attacks him. They, Yosef didn't have one moment. Potiphar's wife attacks him. Okay, I'm going to do the right thing. The most beautiful woman in the world. I have every excuse. You know, I have guys that are off the derrick. They're like, yeah, my Rebbe yelled at me. <laughs> Yosef Atali had a little bit more than his Rebbe yelling at him. And he's all the way in Mitzrayim, and no one's going to see him, right? She's telling him that we're going to have Tzadikim, and she's a stargazer, and Ephraim Amnasha coming for us. She tells him, you can marry me because I'm not married, because my husband's on the other side of tracks, and by a, by, by a non-Jewish, you, the marriage is consummated when the husband and wife are together, and I was never with my husband, so I'm not a married woman. In Shemayim, Hashem is showing in the stars, and Yosef knew how to read stars, that Ephraim Amnasha are coming from us, Right? And look what your brothers did to you. And no one's ever going to find out. And she, according to the Chidah, she was created by the Sultan. She was the most unbelievable, beautiful woman that ever was created in the world. And he says, no! But Yanas, he runs out of the room. Oh, no? Where should, what, what should Hashem, Hashem should have opened Ganeiden, grabbed him and said, what you just did? Ganeiden! Dungeon. You know your reward for being a tzaddik? The worst Egyptian dungeon in the world. They throw him into a dungeon. He's thinking, everything, everything I, it's just not, just not my day. And, and nobody's gonna find me because the brother sold him to Mitzrayim. They're not gonna look for him in a dungeon. So he's in a dungeon. 
disconnected from his father, disconnected from his brother, disconnected from Yiddishkeit, and anyone left in a Mitzri dungeon was left to die. It was the worst dungeons you can imagine. He was left there to die. Now, if I was going through that, I'd be like saying to Hillam in the corner, I don't know, diving to Hashem, fasting. You gotta help me, right? Listen to the Pasuk. Yosef walked by these two low-life Egyptian, uh, uh, a butcher, uh, a baker, and a, and, and, and a, and a winemaker. He saw them. There's such a deep shot on this. What does it mean that you see someone? What does it mean when you, that you saw someone? Oh, I saw her. doesn't mean you saw her with your eyes. So, a nigga dick up shot on this pasuk. They were depressed. He saw, when you see someone, it means that you look into how they're doing. You don't see someone's depression. He looked at them and he said, oh, these two guys who were not his friends, who had nothing to do with him, he had no reason to be nice to any Egyptians in prison. He's got his own problems, right? And he looks at them and he sees they're depressed. Not because he didn't have a smile, because that was Yosef Atzadeh. His brothers from the Shvachos, he defended against his brothers from Leah because he felt bad for them. That was who he was. He cared about the other person. So he saw them. What does it mean to see someone? It means to see their problems. It means to see the why. What's going on with this kid? Not that she has a short skirt. Oh my gosh! Nebuch Rachmanis! Why? She comes from a from family. Why does she have a short skirt? I need to help her. Not the What? And everyone who, who, who does something like that is, is asking you to ask why. That's why they want to look different. But Yishal, okay, okay, so yeah, I'm sure that they were depressed and there were a lot of people depressed in that, in that jail and he saw they were depressed and, okay, I go to work, imagine you're on the bus and there's some people sitting there depressed. You really care? Not Jews, going, whatever, not, sitting depressed. People are depressed! The whole world's depressed! You ever see the bus in, the, in, in Brooklyn in the morning, what they look like sitting on the bus? It looked like they're mamish, almost dead. <laughs> Their heads down. They're sad. Everybody's sad. Who's happy? <laughs> here it is. Asher ito. Listen carefully with the pasuk. Does details here. But Yishal esrisei paro. He asked the helper minister the paro. Asher ito mamishmar based on don of lemar. That we're in the same place he was. He wasn't in a better place. He's in the same prison. The Pusik's town, we know where they were, right? No, he was in the same position they were. But no one asked him what was wrong. He said, guys, why? Madua, why? Why do you look like this? What's going on? He asked Madua. Okay, so one of them said I had this dream, the other one said I had that dream. In the end, because he translated the dreams, he translated Paro's dreams. He saved the world with the seven good years and the seven bad years. He saved the whole world. Why? What did Yosef do? And I ask this question in my seminary all the time. What did Yosef do to have the schus to save the whole world? Finish us? Fasted? He asked two goyim. What's wrong? Why? Why do you look like that? The whole world was saved? Because he asked the question, why do you look depressed? Now, if I would tell you that by asking someone on the bus, why you look depressed, you could save the world, say, well, I'll say, where'd you get that from? That's crazy. Asking one person on the bus, why are you depressed? I can't save the world? Come on, to bring Mashiach, we gotta do crazy stuff. Wrong. He asked them, why do you look depressed? And because of that, the whole world was saved. It's the why, not the what. So I'm going to end, I'm going to tell you a story. It's so important, as if you're a Rebbe, you're a Mora, you're a teacher, stop reacting at the what. Oh my God, this kid came to school and she threw something across the room. That's the what. I'm going to throw her out, I'm going to punish her, she didn't do well. Find out why a normal kid who comes to school just threw something across the room. Maybe her mother threw something at her father before she left. Find out why. 
If you're a parent and your kid is like, I don't know, my parent, my child is different. Something's going on. I don't know. What should we do? We should go to a psychologist. We should give him medicine. We should do all that. Why? Stop treating, stop treating the symptom. The world is busy treating symptoms, and that's why it's a trillion-dollar business, and that's why you treat one symptom, you get, you get the depression done, then comes in the anxiety. You get the anxiety come, then comes the eating disorder. You do the eating disorder, and oh my gosh, every day they're going to a different hospital. She had an eating disorder, now she's depressed, now she has anxiety. This guy was doing drugs, and now he's, he was, he was, you know, he's an addict, a drug addict. We fixed the drug addiction, now he's a gambler. We fixed the gambling addiction, now he's got another addiction. Because you never found out why does he need to get out of pain and drink or drug or gamble? What's wrong? And when you fix that, and I'm talking to you from experience and from a lot of experience, when you fix that, all the what's go by. You got, you got the antibiotic for the strep. All the what's go by. But people don't, don't ask why. They're just like, they're re- we're reactive to what we see. And if you start asking why, like the Malach did, you might find out why the person's lost. And Yosef said why he was lost. He said, my brothers don't accept me. And that's what I need to fix, and that's what we need to work on. And in the end, after he said, I need Yosef, they did accept him, and the whole Mitzrayim was happy that they accepted him. Okay. So I think everyone got the point. Um, so I, I really felt that my father, all the Shalom, you know, he, he, he was told he had three months. I'm laughing because I was in the room with him when the doctor told him that tragic news. Imagine, that's the tra- you got three months, your family, your children. He looked at the doctor, he said, can you guarantee me three months? The doctor looked at him like, what? He says, as Jews, every second we don't know if we're going to still be here. You're telling me that for sure I have three months? Can you guarantee me that? The guy was looking at me, he's like, I'm like, he's different. My dad is different. He says, because nobody can guarantee a person another minute. You're saying you have three months. He's like, Wow. I'm glad I came here today. It's like, whoa. His emuna was beyond anything in the world. So, I, want, I, I was hoping he wrote a will. You know, what he wants his kids to do, and like some last words, and something I could hold on to. So when he passed away, and he never believed he was going to pass away, because he had this emuna in Hashem. And the first night, I'll never forget it, the first night they gave him, I was very close to him, so I was with him most of the time, they, they, they gave him chemo, and he's, He's from the, the Holocaust generation. Like, chemo was like this scary name, word, whatever. And um, they were going to try everything. So they, they gave him chemo, and um, he started singing from, t- from Hallel, Mekimi, Mekimi, Me'afadol. Because Mekimi is chemo. Mekimi, Me'afadol, take me from the... So he's sitting there. They, I remember when she put the thing in, he's like, Mekimi, Mekimi. I was like, Dad, come on. That's what he's singing when he's getting chemo. Chemo. That, that was my father. Anyway, so I, I was hoping, write me something. So I went through all his drawers. I went through all his svarim. You know, maybe he hid it. Maybe he was writing it. Then he went into a coma. I don't know. Nothing. He didn't leave me any will. Didn't leave me a mortgage either. So I was happy. But he didn't leave me a will. Anyway, I was going through his ma'amloyas. Ma'amloyas was a safer that when, when I was young, I had just come out. There were no stories. There was no stories. There was no books of stories that you could learn at a normal Shabbos table. Medrash Rabbah wasn't translated. It was very hard. Mam lawyers had stories. And it had just come out. So every Shabbos, we learned Mam lawyers, And he would prepare what he wanted to teach us in the Mam lawyers. His Mam lawyers at home, it's very worn. Whatever he felt was important is underlined. So he didn't write me a will, but he wrote me a will. So I went through his Mam lawyers. I wanted to see what, what's your message. Like, there was one story, he had a lot of stuff on the line, and there were a lot of messages. But there was one story he used to always tell us. And I think this story gives over my share tonight. So I brought, the, uh, I brought a copy, this, uh, this is my lawyers that I have here, in, in his mom lawyers I have in my house, but I have my lawyers here in my apartment. We, wherever we go, we have my lawyers. I want to read you a story. No ridiculous story. Men, if you want to, or women, if you want to see the story, it is the last mom lawyers in Pashabah Midbar. Okay, it's the last one. On Sipra Malas Siddhaq, it says the following story, and we'll end with this. There was a, there was, I'll tell it to you outside. There was a story of a huge tzaddik, and he begged Hashem to tell him who is going to be its chavrusa in the next world. Who am I going to sit with? So, he sat, tanesim, he davin, tachnunim, until one night in a dream, he was told, 
the person that's going to be Yochav Ruser in the next world is the butcher. This Ira, he woke up. Oh my gosh, he was in Tsar. That's my partner, the butcher? So he again sat in, 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 in Tainus and fasting and davening. Again, they told him the butcher. When he heard that, he started to cry. Started to cry. The whole day he was crying. That's, that's what, all my work that I'm doing. That's where I'm going to be. I'm going to learn with a butcher. That night he had a dream and the Malach said to him, if you were as big a tzaddik as you were for crying about learning with the butcher, we would have killed you. So this butcher was not Stamo butcher. Okay? When he heard that, he said, I need to go find out who this guy is. So he goes to the butcher, butchery, and he, and he says to him, doesn't tell him anything, he says, um, what do you do like special in your store? He says, first of all, I'm very strict about my weights, that everything's good. He says, when poor people come, I give them the best cut of meats. And from the profits I make, I give half to the poor and half I keep. Chassid said, that's very nice. That's very nice, but there must be something else. They threatened me from Shemayim that I cried. That uh, It's not just because you're honest. Even though honesty is very, very important. There are three questions, men, when you come to the next world. But if you get to the next world, they ask you three questions. They ask you, were you honest in business? Then they ask you, were you Isaac, did you make a certain time every day for learning? And the third question is, did you want Mashiach? Women, they ask, did you push your husbands to be honest in business? Did you allow your husbands to go to Seder to learn? And did you teach your children about Mashiach? So we all, we all get the same question. So a big tzaddik said, I don't understand. Talmud Torah, Kinegekulam. Shouldn't the first question of every man be, do you learn every day? Right? Ladies, do you push your husbands to go learn every day? That should be the first question. The next thing's business. That's not so... So a big tzaddik, maybe it was the Chafetz Chaim who said, he said, if they ask you first, if you, if you were honest in business, and the answer is no, they don't ask you the other two questions. Because your Torah is worthless, and you're not going to be there when Mashiach is there. So the first question they ask is, were you honest in business? Before you're learning. Because if you're learning and you want Mashiach, but you're a, ch- you're, you're a cheat and a crook, God's not interested in you. It's a very big lesson. Anyway, so he says he's honest, and he gives him good meat. No. Tell me something else. So he says the following. He's quiet. He doesn't really want to share with this rabbi what he did. The rabbi says, no, you have to tell me. I need to know. This is very important. I'll tell you afterwards why. You have to tell me. He says the following story. I was sitting in my store and a band of cutthroat robbers, kidnappers came through my town. There was a little girl. They had many, they, they captured many, kidnapped many kids. There was this one girl sitting there. Everyone else was sitting there. This kid was crying bitterly. So the butcher said, I went close to her. My daughter, why are you crying uncontrollably? This girl said to me, you should know that I'm a Jew. And these people are going to sell me to non-Jews and I'm going to have to end up being a non-Jew. I was hoping that if I cried to Hashem that maybe a Jewish person would redeem me and I could stay a Jew. The butcher says, when I heard these words, Nishba Libi, my heart was broken. I said to her, wait, I'm not going to leave you with a bunch of goyim. I'm going to redeem you. So I went to the kidnappers and I gave them a huge ransom. And I redeemed her. So you think at this point, okay, now we know why he's sitting next to you, and right? Okay. And I brought it to my house and she was 12 years old. That's how old she was. She grew up in my house. She's now 18 years old. And I had a son. And he was 21 years old, three, three, three years older than her. Yoim Echa Karasi Livni, I called my brother, my son. I said, I wish they would have cloned this kid. I don't see him in this generation very often, but okay. That was many years ago. And I said to him, Reitzani, I want you, Shetasi Reitzani, I want you to do, the father said to the son, what I want. Utamale Meshali Bakazi, and, 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 and fill what I'm asking, my request. If you do this kibbutz of aim, you're going to be rich here and you're going to be rich there. Amali Bani, my son said to me, whatever your heart wants, I'll do. Whatever your mouth says, I'll do. I'm like, where is this kid? I'm looking for him. Okay. Amalo, he said to him, listen, my son, 
We have this girl. She has no yichus. We don't even know where she's from. We know nothing about her. She has no money. I, I adopted her, right? We don't know where she comes from. We know she's Jewish. We don't know anything else. I know you wanted to get a really special shidduch. I'm asking you to marry her. No one else is going to marry her. They don't even know where she comes from. I'm asking you to do me a favor. You're my son. I want you to marry this girl. I know you had this picture of rich girl and whatever you're going to marry and Bix Chosim and Gedalim and Sadiqim and a whole family. You're going to have a whole family that you could go to on Shabbos and on Pesach. You're not going to have nothing. There's no other side. This kid was kidnapped. But I'm your father and I'm asking you to do me this favor. I'll give you clothing, jewels, whatever you want. I don't need, I don't need any of that. I'll do whatever you want. So this butcher said, I was so happy that my son agreed. I made beautiful clothing for him. And Kalim, I bought silver Kalim for him, whatever he, whatever I could. And I made a chana for the chasana. I invited, my father underlined this whole story, every line. That I invited the whole city. And there wasn't one that I left out. And I invited all the poor people. And I put them with everybody else so that they shouldn't be embarrassed. I put by the poor people beautiful, delicious, amazing food. And they were eating and they were partying. But I saw that there was one table that wasn't eating. So I said to them, my brothers, how come you're not eating? Is there something wrong with the food? I'm like, no. You cannot give us better food than this. Everything is perfect. You see that young poor boy that's sitting here? He keeps crying uncontrollably. We don't have an appetite. We have this kid screaming and crying. I can't eat. We can't eat. So this kid was ruining his wedding. So he goes over to Benia Yukari. He says, my special boy, what are you doing? That you're ruining my simcha. That you're crying like this. When everyone else is happy. Do you need money? If you need money, I'll give you money. So you see, this guy's really a tzaddik, right? The young boy says to him, no, I don't owe anybody money. I don't want money. She says, why are you crying? I'm crying. The bride that your son's about to marry, she was chosen for me from the same town before she was kidnapped. She's supposed to marry me. Should you imagine? You can't imagine you have a wedding for your child. His friends are there. They flew in from Chicago, Florida, everywhere. The band is there. The food is there. His boys are there. You and your wife are there. You're ready to walk down to a chuppah. And some guy shows up and says, That girl? We were supposed to get married. You're like, Hey, guy. Have a nice day. I'll find your shit. We'll talk tomorrow. You crazy? I'm going to give you my son. This is good. This is Kala. Look at my Kala away. So this is what he says to this butcher. He says, she's really mine. Then she got stolen, kidnapped, and I tracked, and I found her, and, and now I can't marry her because your son's marrying her. Now you a story. Ah! So, what does he do? Amali. He says, Amati loy don't 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 be uh, depressed. He tells this boy, Sameach, be happy. I'll give my son's bride to you for a wife. Karasi Livni, he calls the chassan, his son. Well, Amati loy b'seisa my special boy. What now, ta? Asisa Ritzani, you did my will. and you're taking this girl. Yes, Tati, I'm taking this girl to marry. She's my bride. I need another favor. Don't fight me on this. Just like I didn't fight you on the first request, I will never fight you on the second request. I don't know where this kid is, but I'm looking for him. I said to him, you should know that your bride was sort of engaged to a bocher before she was kidnapped. And I just found out about it. This this guy's crying. So I want... Uh, I want you to give the bride with all her clothing that we bought for her to this boy. And all the kalim that I made for them. 
And if you could take off your like clothing that I bought you for the suit and everything for the hat and all that stuff for the <laughs> wedding and your shoes and your beautiful socks, if you could give it to this guy because we're going to make him the chasm. When he answered the chalakas, I'll find you a different girl. Honestly, Bani, my father said to me, I need ask him. I am asking to everything you say. I will give the poor boy the poor boy everything. And I will put him under the chupa, but instead of my son. He said we made the shevur brachas, and we took care of them at the chupa, and we paid for everything, and they lived in my house for a long time. And then when they traveled, they, they left. I, I bought them a tanois, I bought them a house. And that's the only other mice I could tell you. That's it. I don't have any other stories. When the Tamachachim heard this, he told the butcher, Butcher, you just made me very happy. I am so rich that you are going to be my Chavusa. And the, and the, and the, 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 the ends up, he says, God should bless us, a bracha for all of us. That we should have chavrusas in the next world with such people. Say amen, everyone. This is my father's story. So I asked my father. I said, Dad, it's a crazy story. We, we used to learn this over and over. It's, it's, it's such a... Because I have a crazy imagination. So I'm at this wedding. And like my father's telling me, like, you know that beautiful girl that you've been dating? Like, you know... And, and all your buddies are here and friends and the band's ready you know what's the song for? I picked my song for the chuppah and he's like oh, there's another guy here we're, we're giving him everything I'm like what? huh what he started drinking ready before the wedding like what dad what are you doing I had this picture in my mind I'm like what would I do I would be broken even if I did it this kid wasn't broken he's like let's go I'm giving him my clothing here's my shoes here's my socks here's my hat so I asked my father an unbelievable question I said why does the father have the schus to be in Ganeidin with the tzaddik? The son gave up everything. Father was married, he had everything. Son gave up everything. The story doesn't say one word about his reward. How come the son doesn't get a reward? How come he's so busy with the father? Said my father. Because this whole story wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the father. And the son would have never been able to do what he did unless he had the chinuch from that father. And therefore, he deserves credit, he's a good guy, but he really had no choice, because that's how he was brought up. So the person who gets the credit is not the act of the son. Maybe he was trying to tell me that he's getting, you know, going to get the credit for anything I ever do. I don't know. At that point, I wasn't doing anything. I was a kid. No, he doesn't get the credit. The father gets the credit. But really, why does the father get the credit? So when I prepared this year of the why and the what... And it's not something, you know, that Rabbi Wolfstein came up with. It's in the Torah. Yosef saved the world because he said, Madua. Moshe Rabbeinu Hashem decided, I'm going to talk to you because he said, Madua. And the only way to fix the things in this world is to, say, is to get to the source of the why, not the what. Fix the why, you fix the what. Fix the what, you don't fix the why. So now I know the answer to my question. Twice in this story, the katzav, the butcher, asked Why? first time, right, he said, <laughs> He said, why are you crying? Yeah, she, a bunch of kids are kidnapped. Of course they're crying. It's not a good thing, right? But he didn't go over to her and say, oh, this girl's kidnapped. Wow. He said to her, everyone else may be crying a little bit, but you're out of hand. You're crying uncontrollably. Why are you crying? She said, why am I crying? Because I want to be a Jew. I don't want to be sold to Goyim. So that's when he adopted her. If he wouldn't have asked why, he wouldn't have adopted her. He thought they were all Goyim. He didn't know. But because she was crying, he asked a question. Okay. Still it wouldn't have happened. But when the Ani was crying, and the people at the table could not eat, he said to him, why are you crying like this? Does somebody owe you money? Do you owe somebody money? He said, no. And he told the whole story. Had the father not asked the two whys, the what, the whole story wouldn't have happened. So that one that deserves the reward in the story, the one that's sitting with the tzaddik, I'm sure the boy also got a kibbutz, but the one that's sitting with the tzaddik in the next world is because the Moshe is Rabbeinu, and Yosef is a tzaddik, and this person, this katzav is a tzaddik, 
because all three of them asked why. They all three three saw something that was bothering them because they looked at it. Yosef saw two guys, Goyim, that were depressed. That shouldn't really bother you, but it bothered him. So he said, why? He saved the world. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I see a bush. Everyone saw the bush burning. Everyone thought, psh, illusion. It's an illusion, right? If, if, if that happened over here, you'd say, it's an illusion. Who's like, who's the magician? Moshe Rabbeinu said, no, I'm not moving here until I find out why. Hashem said, well, then I need to talk to you. And in the case of the Katsif, you don't have to be a Moshe Rabbeinu. And you don't have to be a Yosef Atzadah. You can be a Katsif, you can be a butcher. But is a kid crying? A little girl's crying? Or a big girl's crying? Or somebody's crying out without crying? Why? You owe somebody money. No, no. Much different. I went through abuse. I went through this. Something. My parents are not getting... Whatever it is, get to the point of it. And then you'll be able to fix it. And then you'll be able to fix all the what's. And everybody has that kayak. And nobody can say, well, right, well, I'm not a therapist. This butcher was definitely not a therapist. Well, Shabena wasn't a therapist. If the Atzadik wasn't a therapist. That's not why he asked them. He wasn't looking to get $150 an hour and talk to them in a prison and find out, well, why are you guys depressed? Let's talk about it, you know? How do you feel about being in the prison? That's not what it was about. All these people just asked the question, why? So all of us are like, okay, next time I go for a walk, but how, how do I go ask this kid why? And the answer is that's what they're waiting for. That's why they're acting out. They're waiting for you to ask why. And if you want God to talk to you, and if you want to go to Ghanaian alive, or go to Ganeiden, period. You gotta put your hand out. And remember that even if it doesn't work, and the kid says, I don't want to talk to you, who are you? Okay, you go to the next person. Cause you know, maybe I, maybe I should have invited her for something to eat first before I asked that question. Okay, I put down. I failed this time because I approached the girl the wrong way. I'm gonna do it differently. I'm gonna go where these kids are hanging out in the park, and I'm gonna bring cake, and soda, and some potato chips. Oh, that didn't work! We'll try something else until you get to the point that works. Don't be, don't be scared. 75% of success is based on failure. You put your hand out. Akash Baruch does the rest. Thank you very much. Have a good night. We need to dot my because I... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.